This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Brew. Justin Hartwig, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Hello and welcome to Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Moreland, with me tonight, as always, the man with the earliest bedtime in all of show business, Matt Necrone. How you doing, Matt? I'm ready for bed, man. (laughs) I don't doubt it. And also joining us tonight, the poor man's Carl Klug, Glenn Lotzenheiser. How you doing, Glenn? You know what? That's a compliment. I'll take that. I'm good with that. I knew you'd like it. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm down. He's more of like a poor man's Brian Schwenke. <laughs> Fuck you, Matt. <laughs> Fuck you very much. <laughs> you know, I, I never fucked your mother. Why are you acting like that towards me? Yeah, man, Schwenke was a class act until now. Fuck that guy. All right. Um, before we jump into the show, I just wanted to mention this real quick. Uh, on the... Tennessee Titans uncensored Facebook page. They're doing a first-round mock draft pool. Uh, there's going to be prizes for the first five. Uh, they're the top five draft mock drafts. Uh, so get your picks in. The deadline is March 10th to get your picks in. And then you can switch up and change your mock all the way up until a half hour before the draft actually starts. Um, the scoring, one point for the correct pick position. Uh, one point for the correct pick number, two for the player, three for uh, if you get the Titans pick correct. And, and you can add in trades, and that will actually help you out with points if you call trades correctly. To play, just go to the Tennessee Titans Uncensored Facebook page. The post is pinned to the top, so you'll see exactly where it is. All you got to do is just throw in your name right there, and uh, you'll be entered in order to try to win. There's some great prizes if you're into cards. There's a lot of great stuff. Mariota, rookie card with a jer- piece of the jersey. Javon Ringer, uh, triple patch jersey rookie card. Chris Johnson, Sucks. autographed rookie card. Jack Conklin, autographed rookie card. So a lot of really great uh, prizes there that you can end up winning. It's free to play. There's no buy-in or anything. So if, if that sounds like something you'd want to do, definitely check it out on Tennessee Titans' uncensored Facebook page. Is the Javon and- Ringer one if you lose? <laughs> the way it works for picking is whoever wins first gets to pick which one they want. And then second place picks with what's left, third place, so on and so forth. So whoever finishes fifth, I imagine, will end up with that ringer card. Lucky them. I <laughs> know. Definitely put it above the mantle. Tell your kids about it. We don't have any, anything in the mailbag today. We only got one question. We're going to cover that a little bit later. So we're going to skip the mailbag today and jump right into the news. So, Glenn, what do you have in the news for us? I thought we'd do a little bit of discussion about the coaching carousel. Um, just kind of go over the change we've seen, uh, get get some general opinions of them, and just discuss a little bit about what's happening around the league You know, as far as people that we're going to have to deal with as Titans. Uh the biggest thing that I think I've seen that you know kind of surprised me was the uh, John Lynch hiring as the GM of the uh, 49ers. They gave him a six-year contract. 
for a guy that's never worked in the NFL is anything other than just a player. Uh, we know he's been an analyst the last few years. I just, I'm really stunned by the hire. Uh, it kind of makes me feel like I had a shot. I wish I'd uh, <laughs> you know, called him up. He's probably a Hall of Famer as a, uh, as a safety. But uh, what does he have to do as a GM to succeed in this league? I uh, I like John Lynch a lot, you know, as a player. Um, you know, he was an inspiration for me growing up. He's a guy that I tried to model my game after, and I think he's for sure a Hall of Famer. But you brought it up, you, zero experience in working in a front office, zero coaching experience, zero, you know, personnel experience. A very questionable call for me. I think everybody around the league has been saying the same thing. You know, he's a very likable guy, a hell of a player during his time. Um, you know, but it just doesn't make any sense to hire him, especially to a six-year deal like this. I don't know. Definitely a head-scratcher. I think to be successful in the league at this job, he needs to surround himself with people that are really good and really know what they're doing and be open to letting them take over for the first couple of years until he can really learn what he's doing. And if he does that, he might be able to, to turn this into a successful run, but... I don't know. This was a real questionable call. I know, obviously, he was a Tampa Bay Buck. Was he a Bronco? I believe he yes. was. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where this ties into. Obviously, it kind of took me off guard, as it did you guys, but um, he played for Coach Shanahan, and you know they're bringing in Kyle as, as the Niners coach. So there's probably a tie there, but I do kind of like it. It's out, of, it's out of the box, but knowledgeable guy, and I think that – he may not have immediate success right away, but I think eventually it could turn into something special. I'm not against the move. The right. nice thing for Lynch is nobody's expecting a lot from him, so the bar's set real low. So any small amount of success is going to look like a genius. Yeah, and on the 49ers, you know, the small amount of success is probably right. Uh, the thing is, is I think you guys both touched on it. Friend of Shanahan, who they're planning on bringing in, he he knows the family. Uh, maybe they're hoping that he can get the dad to come back in for a little bit. I think Ryan touched on it too, though, is he's going to have to surround himself with guys that know how to do their job. He's going to have to put people in place to help him out. You know, guys with really good scouting experience. Uh, He's going to have to find himself someone to run that scouting department, you know, somebody to handle the player contracts because he's never really done much of that. So I'm really curious to see if he's more of a – a leader by example and is steering the team in the right direction and allowing other people, other football guys to come in and do their job. Or if he goes in there and tries to run the show, that, that'll determine a lot about how this goes for him You know, early on. He's got six years, but we all know that means nothing in the NFL. Sometimes they'll just write you a check to send you on your way. I'm really curious to, uh, to watch that situation uh, develop there. Yeah, I think GM, I mean, obviously it's a huge responsibility, but pretty sure all three of us think we could do it, even though we probably couldn't. But, I mean, I'm we all – I'm going to try. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a lot easier. To me, It's it would be uh, – I th- I feel like I would do a better job at being a GM than I would an actual, like, positional coach, like, you know, Wes Welker or somebody. There you go. Yeah, and, you know, so as we discussed, they're expected to hire Kyle Shanahan um, – the things I'm hearing, uh, listening to the uh, NFL Network and uh, Sirius Satellite and all that, is that he's expected to also get a six-year deal and match it up with Lynch. A six-year deal is a long time to give to a rookie GM you know, with no experience, and also then you're giving that to a rookie head coach. 
if, if they do end up doing six and six, is that too long of a term to give to Shanahan? Or do you think that's the price they had to pay to get him to leave the Falcons? Probably the price you had to pay. I mean, Shanahan's had a lot of success, and I know he's a young guy, and he you know, doesn't have any head coaching experience, but he has the pedigree. He's had nothing but success you know, in every position that he's held so far. You talk to everybody that's, that's worked with him or, or been around him, but they all love him. And even when he did have – he had a little bit of problem with Matt Ryan at first because Matt Ryan didn't really believe in his system, and he got Matt Ryan on board, and you know, now they're playing for a Super Bowl. I, I think the success that he's had, you're really going to force their hand – in order to get him out of that situation. Because, I mean, why not? If it, the deal's not exactly what you want, stay there. You're getting paid millions of dollars. You're going to get another championship run. You're still going to be a contender. You have a great quarterback. You know, the incentive to leave has to be, I'm getting, making way more money and I'm getting a contract that's very friendly to me. For Kyle Shanahan in the position that he's in. Do you guys recall um, when we brought John Robinson in, how long his initial deal was? I know he just got promoted, but... It was just two or three years, wasn't it? I don't understand how. I mean, he was a, he's a first-time GM as well, but, I mean, he's got way more background than John Lynch does. So I really don't understand why it's six years if that's the case. I think it's a question of motivation. You know, he wanted to be the GM of the Titans because he's a Titans fan. He grew up in Tennessee. Whereas John Lynch, he, he would like to run the show, obviously, and he's very motivated to go be a GM. But he also told, you know, the 49ers, you know, from what I've read, that they had to keep it a secret if they actually wanted to hire him because he didn't want to screw up the rest of his career and have people talking, you know, if he wasn't going to get that shot. And so maybe, you know, it came down to the 49ers are going to have to beg people to come coach their squad right now because it's such a mess. You know, the, the Colin Kaepernick deal last year, that's going to be an issue for a guy like uh, John Lynch. Um, I don't know that he'll put up with it. As far as you know, protesting and making a spectacle of himself on the sidelines, I, I think maybe that six-year deal was because they had to get somebody to come in, and this they saw it as part of having to get uh, a Shanahan in there. So maybe they just wanted to make the deal where they had to match it up, and both guys get huge contracts or you know long contracts just to start out and make that match up. All right. Uh, Rex Ryan, he's going to be an ESPN analyst for the Sunday countdown leading up to the Super Bowl. Obviously, we know he got fired for, as the Bills head coach. We've talked about him being a better coordinator than a coach in the past. Do you think he takes a year off, as, works as an analyst, and then comes back? We've seen that move a couple times. Or is this going to end up being his career, and he's just going to be an analyst from here on out? I mean, he, he's a relatively young guy. He's in his 40s. So for a coach, that's pretty young. Yeah, I think he does take the year off. He's more of a personality than he is anything in my opinion so I, I think he, he'll fit in well uh at ESPN he, he will probably get back into coaching he may not get you know a head coaching spot right off the bat but I do think he could work his way back up and start out as a good defensive coordinator because that's obviously what he does best yeah I, the one thing for me is you're not seeing a lot of guys transition back anymore um you know that'd be the thing to, to watch for is you see these guys get the job with ESPN or, you know, CBS or Fox or whoever, and, you know, Cower and Gruden, they just stay there. You know, they it's a lot less pressure. The hours are a lot more manageable. The pay's close to the same, and it's not taking years off your life like coaching does. So I think you're – it's hard, I think, to make that decision to want to come back to football after, you, you know, you're still – 
in football, you still get to do a lot of things that you like to do without doing a lot of the headache kind of stuff that you don't like to do. A lot less pressure on you, a lot less work involved. So that would be something to look forward to if he does come back. I think he'd be a great addition, though. He's he's obviously, like Matt said, he's a personality. He's a guy that if you had – there was a, a thing that I believe was Bleacher Report put out a few years ago where they asked players around the league, if you could grab a, grab a beer with any coach that's not your coach, who would it be? And it was like overwhelmingly Rex Ryan won. He's just that kind of guy. He's the guy if you had to go grab a beer with him, that's the guy you'd go with because he is such a character. But uh, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to say he'll make his way back just because we're not seeing a lot of guys do it in recent years. You know, they seem that once they get in that cushy job, they stay. Yeah, but the one difference between those guys and Rex Ryan, all those guys were successful at what they did. Dungy won a Super Bowl. He's in that spotlight. Gruden won a Super Bowl. He doesn't He doesn't need to go back. He's got the best job in America, really. Um, Cower won a Super Bowl. He has no intent of coming back. Rex Ryan hasn't been to that level of success, and eventually I do think he'll be back in there. Yeah, That's that was going to be my follow-up. I was going to ask, you know, as a question of success, Ryan still has stuff to prove as a head coach. Uh, those other guys, like Matt just said, they don't. They, they've already succeeded. They've been to the promised land. Ryan never managed that. Uh, so, you know, like Matt just said, there's a chance that he has he comes back just because he's still hungry or, you know, pride. He still has something to prove. Whereas these other guys, they've done it. They don't really need to come back. There's, there's nothing to, for them to prove anymore. It's nice to be courted every single year. You know, Cower, uh, Chucky, th- th- those guys, I think they enjoy the attention that, you know, their name keeps coming up as a possible head coach again, but they don't have to work for it anymore. They're superstars in the NFL without having to do any of the NFL hours, without having to sit there and film study and all that other stuff. They can just do what they want to do and have fun with it and, you know, work for three hours a day at most. It's rough. And to clarify, you're talking about Rex Ryan, not me, because I'm a hell of a football coach. I have something like (laughs) 28 championships at this point on Madden. Yeah, on Madden. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, uh, you know, speaking of the Bills, they hired Sean McDermott. Uh, He was the defensive coordinator for the Panthers the last few seasons. Um, He's expected to bring the Panthers' current linebacker coach, uh, Holcomb, with him. You know, the Bills have the pieces to be a fairly stout defense. They've got some explosive players there. They've got a good front seven. So it makes sense to bring in a defensive guy, somebody whose you know, thing is defense, to help work with that defense. But following Rex Ryan, who was also a defensive guy, do you think they should have maybe gone uh, with an offensive guy? Or is it right to bring in another defensive-minded head coach and just make this the shady show since they don't have a quarterback? I think what you have to do is you could do it either way, but you need to get another guy in there that is offensive minded. They need to get a guy in there that can play offensive football. I mean, how long has it been since the Bills had a good offense? Uh, you know, how long has it been since they've had a good quarterback? Uh, I mean, it's it seems like it's been forever. Um, they need to get a guy in there that can change the way that this team is looked at because every single year it seems like the bills have a competitive defense and a horrible offense it seems like that's been the trend i mean since jim kelly left pretty much um they need to get someone in there that can make a difference they need to draft a quarterback that can be their future of this team uh you know i don't think taylor's it i think that you need to bring in a guy that can that can be your franchise quarterback there 
Um, but, you know, McDermott, I think, is a good hire. He's a good football coach. He was one of the biggest names last offseason and, you know, stayed put. And even though uh, the Panthers struggled this year, it had a lot to do with those really young corners they had on the outside uh, getting exposed week in and week out. But I, I think he'll do a good job in Buffalo. I think that he can help get this ship turned around. But he needs to go out and hire himself a really good offensive coordinator to come in and, and try to make a difference on this offense. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, when Rex Ryan came into Buffalo, their defense was top of the league. And a defensive-minded coach like Rex Ryan, who's been known to to have these great Super Bowl-caliber defenses, you know, they, they couldn't get out of their own way. So McDermott, um, I'm familiar with him through – uh, he was he was with Philadelphia as well before Carolina, and Ryan was just talking about bringing in somebody with an offensive mind, which obviously they they need to do. Tyrod Taylor's probably not the answer in Buffalo. I was actually talking about this with somebody the other day. Back when there was a Rex Ryan tie, we could see maybe Deshaun Watson going at number 12 to Buffalo, and Carolina's defensive coordinator, Sean McDermott, who's now the head coach, uh, Panthers and Clemson Tigers have a little in-state tie. Well, not really in-state, but close enough. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I, I do think they need to figure out who they're going to go with and, and basically start from scratch on that offense because they don't have too many pieces in place right now. Yeah, and that was one of the things I was going to mention, actually, was you know the the possibility of that is a spot that Watson ends up landing at because they've, they've pretty much already said they're cutting uh, ties with Tyrod Taylor that's actually kind of already in the works. Uh, so if they're not going to have Tyrod Watson kind of makes sense. They're towards that middle of the first round. I, like Matt just said, he, he just pointed all the connections They're They're there. It's kind of set up for that to be Watson's landing spot. And the thing is, is if you getting McDermott right now, if he can be successful and he can get a good offensive coordinator in and then get Watson in or, you know, whoever get a franchise quarterback and work through the the first three years of struggling, you know, like quarterbacks do, anybody getting adjusted to the league, you know, struggling, and then get it all together in, you know, year three, year four. You're looking at a Tom Brady-less AFC East. That could be right when you're getting good, and it could set you up for this Bills franchise to be dominant at the perfect time, you know, when the Patriots don't have a Tom Brady anymore, you know, maybe not even a Bill Belichick anymore, and take over and really cement themselves as the best team um, in the NFC East. Because obviously they're not going to do it while Tom Brady's there, but if if they can time it right, and the, the timing is perfect here, if they can get a guy in, get him good, go through those first couple years, you know, and then have him on solid footing right when he starts to hit his prime, and then you could take over this division. That's a solid point, right? I'm not sure who the GM is in Buffalo, but they also do have a couple Clemson guys already with Sammy Watkins and uh, Shaq Lawson. So it's not as far-fetched as it may seem, but I think it's actually a really good fit. Yeah, so you heard it here first. That's uh, Matt's pick for the first round for the uh, Bills. We're going on. The, the Chargers, they hired a former Bills interim head coach and uh, offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn. Uh, he's going to be their head coach now, and there's talk about him bringing in the Jags ex-coach, Gus Bradley, to be their defensive coordinator. Uh, is this a positive change for Phillip Rivers? We saw what went on in Buffalo with the offense. One game was good, one game was bad, possibly the result of just not having the quarterback. But also, is this a good thing for 
the Chargers bringing in a guy who was known for having just a plain vanilla defense in Bradley. Um, starting off of answering the first part of your question, you know, NFL.com ranked this as the best coaching hire uh, of so far of the off season. Um, Lynn, a very offensive minded guy. I know he's not really a household name, but he is a guy that he can do a lot with the offense. He can do a lot of things. He's a smart offensive guy. Now, I like that for Philip Rivers. You need to. Philip Rivers is such a good damn quarterback in this league, and it's just a shame that. You know, he's been stuck on teams that are just as bad as they are. And, you know, we've talked about it before on the show, and I won't get into it too much. But you need to get a guy in there that can bring weapons in and just help him succeed. You don't need a great coach to have a great offense in San Diego because you have a fantastic quarterback. You need to get weapons and just let that guy run the offense. Let the offense run through Phillip Rivers. Let him do his thing, and you can win football games. On the other side... You have a defense that has a lot of holes in it, but filled a huge one in that defensive line last year by getting a guy like Joey Bosa in there. And that defensive line actually looked pretty good this season. I know for Titans fans it might not look that good because the game we played against them, we did pretty good on that offensive front. But uh, for the most part, Joey Bosa had a great year last year. Uh, this defensive line had a good year. They have a lot of questions in the secondary, though. They need to need to get some weapons. I thought on the second part of your question here, that Gus Bradley was the wrong pick. We saw Gus Bradley had a really good defense on paper last year, um, and that's the only place that they were good was on paper. He is, like, you said it perfectly, Glenn. It's vanilla. It's very vanilla. It's ultra-conservative. He he doesn't have any testicles in his pants, and he doesn't go for anything. He hardly blitzes. I think that somehow... Dick LeBeau got all of the nutsack that Gus Bradley was supposed to have because LeBeau blitz on every damn play and doesn't give a shit. The Gus Bradley is the exact opposite. He's vanilla, he's boring, and you know, and vanilla and boring in the NFL often loses you games on the defensive side of the ball. I concur. Nothing to add. Nothing important or interesting anyway. <laughs> all right, then. Um, we're going to stay over in that part of the country. The Rams have hired uh, Sean McVay as their head coach. He's got a five-year deal. Uh, he's the youngest head coach in the modern NFL era. He was the Reds, the Redskins' offensive coordinator. And last week we talked about how pass-heavy that offense has been, and how badly they needed a running back. Well, now he's going to a team that has a pretty good running back, but serious questions at the quarterback position. Uh, I mean, they didn't even start the number one pick in the draft for the longest time this year. We all agree they need to move on from Fisher, so no complaints, you know, in who they've signed. Uh, but since we've we own the Rams' first round pick this year, and they're definitely going to have to go with Goff because they don't have a reasonable shot at a better quarterback. Uh, do you think McVay can fire up the young man's career, or does this team have too many problems to succeed this coming season? I think McVay's system is um, is quarterback friendly. It's not complicated to run. Uh, it opens up a lot in the passing game. I like Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, but a lot of his success, I think, had to do with uh, McVay's system. You know, getting a lot of space, getting guys open. The problem is, is you need a lot of guys that can. That you need some weapons for the system to work. 
And right now you have Todd Gurley, who's a fantastic young running back. But you, outside of that, you got Tavon Austin, who's a weapon if you can get him in open space. And, you know, that's kind of the end of the list. You need to get some more guys in there that can do more with the football in order for this offense, I think, to really work. But one thing, uh, my favorite story, I think, so far in these head coaching hires, is McVay's, like, first day comes in and throws a pizza party yesterday with the Rams' front office trying to, like, mend some some bad relationships, you know, that have been going on in the Rams' front office. So I thought that was just a kind of funny story. But really young guy, but I think his system could work there. Uh, and it's simple enough that I, I think that a guy like golf could have some success in that. But I think they need to get a, some guys in there that can do more with the football, yards after the catch kind of guys. And I have one in Tavon Austin. I don't have much faith in Kenny Britt or whoever else is out there still. I think Britt's a free agent, but I agree with you. Um, the only thing I'll stress from what you just said is that it's going to take a lot of time for this to develop. I don't think they have nearly enough pieces around the Jared Goff to succeed. I think Goff's in better hands with McVay as, as opposed to Jeff Fisher and anybody that was on Fisher's staff just as a quarterback standpoint. But like, like I just said, it, it's definitely going to take some time. I don't see the Rams making any splashes this year, and I don't see Jared Goff developing this year. I think it's going to take at least two years to to even start talking about that. Here's my question is, you know, McVay coming in, how long do you give Jared Goff? Do you think they'll be looking for a quarterback maybe next year or even as early as this year? That's up to McVay, I guess. But, I mean, that, I mean that, that's not his guy. I don't, I'm not really sure why they even went with Jared Goff. I would have taken Carson Wentz, for one. But I'm sure they give him this year for sure. You, you have to. You have no other choice. But, you know, if he struggles in a system that they're going to run and, and you know they're going to run it. The thing is, McVay is stuck with him this year, but McVay is also definitely guaranteed to be there in two years. So Jared Goff may or may not be at that point, whether he's a backup or what, what role he plays, I don't know. But, I mean, if he struggles hard hard enough, then I could see them going elsewhere. Yeah, he has the potential to be one of the biggest busts in NFL history. <laughs> it, it really is stunning how bad he looked this year for being that high of a pick. I'm really curious to see what happens with it. I agree with you guys. It won't happen this season. There's just too many problems in that team. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I think that they know they can't really look for a quarterback this year unless they find the Dak Prescott in the second round. That first round pick being ours really hinders them year one going in. I think it made this job less exciting just because of that. But at the same time, if you know you're going to suck this year, you have a year to come in, do your discovery, find your players see who wants to be on this team, see who wants to be a successful NFL player. And then going into the next year, you have no problem cutting anybody you've got to cut and just doing what you've got to do and developing the team from there. So I think this year is probably a freebie for him, and we'll just see what happens going forward. I also uh, wanted to ask this with uh, this hiring, too. is You know, McVay's not a guy that you hear a lot about. He's obviously the youngest head coach do you think that you know not having that first round pick giving away a lot in that trade to us and thank god that they did but giving all that away not having a first round pick having a quarterback that not a lot of people in the NFL have any faith in do you think that McVay how far down the list do you think McVay was before they realized like we're not going to get who we wanted or do you think McVay was towards the top of that list let me just start off by saying Jeff Fisher fucked that organization so good, and I love him for it. But McVeigh had to be on, you know, reasonably close to the top of that list because 
that franchise moving to LA, you know, brand new start. I would think it's a well sought after, sought out after job. If that makes any sense, I don't even know what I just said. But uh, I, you got to think, like, because I've never heard of McVay. I didn't pay attention to the Redskins offense that closely last season. Obviously, he's a young guy, the youngest head coach in the league right now. But obviously, he's got to have something that they like. And I don't know if it's just that they want to start completely fresh. And I think they realize they fucked up, not only with Jeff Fisher, but the fact of the, the trade and everything else. I think that they realize how big of a hole that they're in. Yeah, the fact that they didn't fire their GM, you know, midseason kind of stunned me. It just the, the Rams organization is such a clusterfuck. You know, since the days of the greatest show on turf, they have been just awful, just dismantling the team and signing people to bad contracts. I think he was probably fairly high on their list. And like Matt said, there's a lot of things to like about going to that organization because they have a winning history. They have a brand new, gorgeous stadium. They're in a great spot for getting players to come to your town. Uh, so it's more attractive for free agents. Everything is there and in place for this team to be successful, except for talent. They're going to have to fix that. But I, I think that he was probably high on their list. And after he got in there and had, had a chance to look around and talk to them a little bit, I think they were pretty high on his list right away, too. Uh, the last thing I've got, Mike Mayock said that this is probably the best tight end draft class he has ever seen. Given that we've identified tight end as an area of need, and the tight ends showed up at the Senior Bowl and played really well. Who are your top two or three tight ends at this point? Even with the injury, Jake Butts up there. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. He's like a complete package kind of a guy. He blocks well, catches the ball well. He's big and physical. He's agile. He's got good hands. He's you know he's exactly what you want in a total package, especially um, for a downhill running scheme like us. Uh, a great guy to have that can block that well. And then you have uh, David Njuku's really flying up draft boards. Uh, the kid out of Miami. I got to watch them play WVU in the the bowl game this year. And West Virginia has a good defense and has been a good tackling defense, you know, the whole season. And he was breaking tackles left and right. It was like every single time he caught the ball, he was guaranteed to break one tackle. Had a really fantastic game. He was a big reason why, you know, Miami blew West Virginia out of the water. And why they had as, as good of a season as they had was that, uh, you know, he was such uh, a talented football player. And he's really flying up draft boards now. I like him a lot. Not as solid as a blocker, though. And then I think O.J. Howard right now is my top tight end fantastic young athlete he has good blocking i think guys can shed him a little too easily sometimes uh, but he has the size that i think you can get that you can coach that out of him obviously a, a unbelievably freakish kind of athlete a lot to like there those three guys i think in my opinion are kind of like consensus you know top tight ends right now but you know mayock's right this is it's heavy loaded at the top. There's some great talent at the top of this class. But then it's thick all the way through. This is a great tight end draft class. There's a lot of guys um, that I think are going to be something special, you know, going to be good tight ends in the league or have the potential to be at least. Yeah, I agree. Watching the Senior Bowl, O.J. Howard definitely stuck out. Um, he didn't have to be there. He kind of he had something to prove. I always thought that he was kind of a little overrated up until this process, but he killed us in both national title games as Clemson. He is probably the number one tight end overall coming out. I've never actually seen David Njoku. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about him. 
But I will say uh, Evan Engram, he's not a very good blocker, but he's a great route runner, good receiver, pretty fast. I think he's going to go probably mid-second round. And then my guy Jordan Leggett out of Clemson. I've seen him make plenty of plays. He doesn't show up every game, which is what I don't like about him. But when he does show up, he's he's definitely a threat. O.J. Howard probably stands out a little bit above the rest. But after that, the second tier is a, is a good group of guys. Yeah, I thought that this lined up really well for us, just like all of the good offensive linemen racked up for us last year. This year, tight end's an issue. There's enough guys that we don't have to spend our first-round pick on a tight end uh, to have someone who can definitely contribute for a long time going forward. Uh, O.J. Howard, Ingram, and, and Joku, every time, ever since Ryan brought him up a while back, I keep hearing that guy's name and being impressed with the things I've seen about him. So he's definitely climbing on my board. But but is the guy that I think is the most reasonable expectation for us if we don't do a bunch of moving around uh, because that injury is going to keep him out of the combine. It's going to keep him... It kept him from having a chance to show up in the postseason for college, um, you know, doing the senior bowl, things like that. It, it's going to hurt his draft stock just because these other guys are getting a chance to show up and play well. And it's such a deep class that teams will be less likely to take a chance on him. So I think Jake Budd is a guy that we have a reasonable shot at getting in the third round if we don't do any other moving around. But again, lots of guys in this uh, class have a chance to contribute. John Robinson we were talking about before the show, uh, Ryan was bringing up how much the Patriots organization was praising him and his ability to find those small school guys. He knows what to look for. He knows how to dig up players. So I think that one way or another, the tight end position gets addressed, whether it's a, a star type player, like the guys that we're talking about, or if he just finds that guy that we've never heard of, like Bayard that just shows up and all of a sudden he's our next great tight end. Uh, one, one way or the other, though, I think that we fix it this draft class because this is the time to do it. And what was Butt's injury? He, he tore his ACL, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a good value pick if we can get him in third for sure. I don't know that we're going to target him there, but I have a feeling that you know somebody might go ahead and, and try to reach for him earlier than that. Yeah, I it's agree. definitely possible. Yeah, I don't see him making it to the third as much as I'd like to see him drop those because I think he is. If he comes back from that injury – I think he's the most talented overall, you know, a complete package tight end in the draft class. And and then, you know, I think Howard has a ton of upset. Najuku, I, I think, is fantastic, but his blocking worries me a little bit. But I, I think if Jake Butt, if he comes back healthy, I think he's the best of the class. So I, I think you're going to see someone take a, a chance on him in the second. It would even surprise me if it was early second, to be honest. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised either. That's why I think we should be trading back into the second round if that's what we want to, if we're shooting at a tight end. Because a lot of these guys are going to disappear before the third round rolls around. I mean, the guys that we talked about, none of these are guys are third round guys. Maybe Everett is a guy that drops into that group. Uh, Ingram is probably a second, third round guy, but I think he goes in the second round because the offensive linemen aren't there this year. Uh, The wide receivers, there's a few really good wide receivers and not much else there. So it's going to be a defensive draft and guys that play positions that you need, but you don't normally draft high, like tight end that end up going. I'm really hoping he could drop far enough or else that we make a move that lets us still make really good picks in the first round, but pick up a second round pick in there somewhere so we can target a guy like that. So that's what I've got for the coaching carousel and you know our news around the NFL. Uh, before we head into the commercial real quick, guys, we have the biggest game of the year coming up this week, the Super Bowl, of course, Falcons versus the Patriots. 
so we're gonna just real quick, you know, talk about what you think is gonna be some key matchups to watch in this game, and who do you think is gonna take it? Uh, I do like what Atlanta brings to this game, but at the same time, we're talking about New England, who has won it so many times. It's so hard to pick against them. I think all the momentum is in Atlanta's favor. I'm rooting for Atlanta. But at the same time, I don't know what the line is. I'm assuming it's like New England minus three. Uh, that's probably a safe bet, in my opinion. I would probably take New England minus three. But I'm, I'm hoping it goes the other way. Yeah, I don't think that we see the kind of point totals we saw during the the rest of the playoffs. You know, l- largely because the, the Super Bowl doesn't tend to lend itself to high scores unless it's just a blowout. Uh, so I think that we're more likely to see something in the low 20s. We have two really well-coached teams that are playing really well right now. You know, my, my biggest thing is I want to see what Bill Belichick comes up to deal with the Falcons offense. I'm really curious to see what he comes up with, how they choose to attack that team. Because uh, the Falcons can run the ball really well. Julio Jones is such a distraction for the defense that it's hard to recover all those other players that they have. You know, when Julio Jones has missed games this year, Matt Ryan has still thrown a lot of touchdowns and scored an awful lot. So you, you can't just take Julio Jones out. I, that That's the most exciting thing for me is to see what the Patriots do with the Falcons offense. I honestly don't care who wins this game. You know, I, I have enough respect for, you know, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick that I don't root against them every time. I don't like them, but I respect the guys. Um, I don't care about the Falcons. You know, like I said, I, I, my, one of my best friends is a huge Falcons fan. So, you know, if they win, I'll be happy for him. But I don't really care. I want it to be a good game. That's my biggest concern. Yeah, Glenn, me and you talked about it before uh, we got on the show that yeah, I, don't, I don't care who wins. I just want it to be a good game. Uh, if I had to root for anybody, it would be the Falcons just because, you know, fuck the Patriots. We've seen them win too many Super Bowls. Uh, I think it should be a really good game. Key matchup for me, I think, is one that will probably get overlooked with these two great quarterbacks is the running attacks for both squads. Uh, obviously, Atlanta has a two-headed monster, uh, but it hasn't been overly fantastic the last couple weeks. Uh, you know, we've seen them have bad games and Atlanta still win. Uh, but this is a decent defense, a pretty good defense that they're going to go up against. So that's something I'm going to be looking forward to. And then on the other side of the ball, can the Patriots, you know, supplement what Tom Brady's going to do uh, with a good running behind it? It would be something to definitely look out for this week and heading up to it. I have a feeling that it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a tight game. But if I had to pick right now, I think I'm going with the Falcons. Did you guys hear yesterday that uh, one of the members of the media picked up Kyle Shanahan's bag and it had <laughs> it had the game plan in it? Yeah, he, I saw that. He couldn't find it for about 15 minutes and was you know all frantic running around looking for it. <laughs> and I guess I'm not familiar with who the guy was. I was listening to Mike and Mike today. They were talking about it. Apparently, the guy is some older guy who's been around forever. And everybody's like, you know, start the conspiracies now that the Patriots hired some guy to take the playbook and this and that. Oh, yeah. And uh, apparently the dude's from San Fran. They're like, don't worry about it. He's from San Francisco. And they're like, wait a minute. Where is Tom Brady from? San Francisco. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I did see that. I was like, yep, here we go. Always an excuse for why the Patriots win a game. Uh-huh. All right, we're going to head into a quick commercial break here. When we come back, we are going to bring you the all-time Titans team. 
Uh, so definitely something to look forward to. We'll be right back. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show, and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk with crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. Hey guys, you've heard us talk about Hang 10 Apparel before on the show, and if you haven't checked them out, then you're truly missing out. Hang 10 is the one place to find unique Titans gear that you will not find anywhere else. Whether it's a Maragoda hoodie, a Mahalo Etcha Boy t-shirt, or Mike Keith's Music City Miracle Call on a sweater. There are no flags on the field! It's a miracle! The only place to find it is Hang 10. Just go to hangtn.com to find all this great gear. And while you're there, don't forget to use our promo code 2TONE to get 10% off any purchase. That's hangtn.com, the official Titan shop of 2TONE Uncensored. Tighten up. You're listening to 2TONE Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, we're back from that quick commercial. We're going to jump now into the all-time Titans list here. Just to give you a little bit of background before we jump into it, we are not taking Oilers players. If they played for both the Oilers and the Titans, they were uh, available for this. But if they played solely for the Oilers, uh, we didn't include them in the list. I don't know why it's Matt's decision, and, and he hates the history of this franchise, so take it up with him. So this is only... Titans players or guys that played for both the Titans and the Oilers. Uh, we're gonna Shots go th- fired early. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna go through uh, the offense first. We'll go through the defense, just position by position, and tell you some guys that we had. So we'll start off in quarterbacks here. And I think it's a pretty easy group, guys. Uh, I'll tell you what I have in this one because I think we're all gonna have pretty much the same thing, and that's McNair as your starter. Marcus would be your backup, and then Vince Young would be the third stringer. Do you same kind of thing or anybody have anything different i just kept it down to two i just mcnair and mariota vince young i mean his record overall was fine but it wasn't about him winning the winning i would take a bunch of other guys who played for just one year before i would take vince young so i said you know what i'm going to run with two quarterbacks uh we'll bring up somebody from the practice squad if it comes down to that uh i'd rather use those roster spots for other players billy v love billy volick no <laughs> Carrie uh, Collins, right, obviously. Right. Ryan and I had a little dispute over Vince Young the other day, and uh, his argument was that he wasn't – well, I'll let you explain it. What was your argument, Ryan? I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> right. Uh, I said that he wasn't a, a franchise quarterback, and it comes down to just a disagreement, really, on what the definition of franchise quarterback is. Glenn, do you feel he was a franchise quarterback? No. 
You don't think Vince Young was a I feel like they drafted him like a franchise quarterback, but I don't think he was a franchise quarterback. I saw the guy play all through college. Uh, He he was a terrific in-the-moment player. Uh, The last two minutes of a game, all kinds of good fun. He he wasn't a guy who could lead a team on a regular basis, or else he would have succeeded somewhere else. Uh, He had other shots in the league. No one really needed the guy. Uh, he, he was somebody you brought in to mimic somebody like uh, Michael Vick. You know, come in here and practice and run around a whole bunch. We're not actually going to keep you on the roster for the season, though. We just want you to hear for that week one game. You know, it just he, he wasn't a guy who could hang around in the NFL because he every time he threw the ball, it was like you were firing a mortar without actually stabilizing that thing first. You just you didn't know where the round was going. I'm, I hate defending this guy because I'm not a Vince Young fan. However, he was a franchise quarterback. He was the face of the franchise for three seasons. Which is something that we have to deal with forever. And I understand that. And and like I just just said, I don't like the guy. (laughs) However, he was. I mean, he was on the cover of Madden. You don't just randomly get that without having some type of recognition. Just because you're exciting doesn't mean you're good. Are you a Jersey guy, Glenn? I am a Jersey guy. Did you have a Vince Young jersey? I did not. Oh, well, I'm regretfully to say that I did, but well, that's um, why you're defending it. You, you invested in Vince Young. Therefore, yeah, you have see. <laughs> which is probably why, yeah, which is probably <laughs> why I don't like him, but for you, you can't argue that for that period of time, he was the face of the franchise. I have a mint but I see, autograph I've... Vince Young rookie card and it sits in a box and I don't even think about the damn thing. I didn't, I didn't even remember I had the thing until we just started having this conversation. That's the thing is it just comes down to a difference in what like franchise quarterback is. I think it's more than just getting drafted high. I think you have to be the guy on your team for a while in order to earn that, that franchise uh, quarterback. I think you have to be the reason tag. the team is winning. Right. Right. Listen, any any Vince Young supporter would say, "Oh, Vince or uh, Jeff Fisher screwed him this and that." Listen, I took Fisher's side well before Vince Young's side. Washed my hands once all that shit was over, and I'm glad it's over, and I don't ever want to look back. But you know, if if he wasn't such like a a mental head case, you know, taking guns and disappearing for hours at a time, he might be in a different situation. He left the Titans to go to Philly behind Mike Vick, who claimed he was on this dream team that never panned out. Like I said, I hate defending him, and I hate we're even talking about it for this long, but I did bring it up. I just thought it was crazy that um, for somebody like myself who doesn't like the guy personally but admits that he was a huge part of this franchise for multiple seasons, I don't see how anyone could argue that. He was. He was a huge part of this franchise for multiple seasons. Anytime you miss on a quarterback – it, it hurts your team for years and years and years. Uh, the, the team was – when he took over, we had a good defense. We, we could get things done on offense in spite of Vince Young, or he would make plays with his legs. Jeff Fisher didn't want him. At the time, I also took Jeff Fisher's side just because I didn't like Vince Young. Part of it, Oklahoma-Texas rivalry. But let, let's admit it. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to cheer for a Texas player, particularly a quarterback who beat my team. That's not Earl happening. Campbell? Yeah, Earl Campbell. Love bro. Earl Campbell. He wasn't a Texas quarterback. Well, I think <laughs> obviously, but come on. <laughs> hey, Earl Campbell came to this team, and he was the Houston Oilers for a long time, so that's fine. You know, he won my love. 
<laughs> it's a little bit different with Vince Young because they were winning in spite of him. Right. Uh, he had some great moments. He was an exciting guy to watch play. He wasn't a very good quarterback as a quarterback. Uh, as a passer of the ball, he was not the guy I wanted back there. But, you know, he could take off and run. He was a threat every time he moved. Teams paid attention to him because you didn't know what he was going to do next. But you'd watch him throw the ball, and you didn't know where the damn thing was going, and his receivers didn't either. Uh, I just I couldn't put him on this list because I would never trust him to be the quarterback of my team. That's, that's fair. So we'll just chalk right. it up to Ryan wins the argument. Matt, you're wrong. Uh, moving on. If we were ever going to put a fucking poll up, this, this is what the poll question should be. Because I guarantee more people agree with me than you. I will Facebook. guarantee. Let's find out. Facebook it. Facebook right, that we'll shit. We'll throw it up. We'll put it up when this comes out. <laughs> Go on to uh, Two-Tone Uncensored on our Facebook page. We'll have it right there on our Facebook page so you can vote on it. Was Vince Young a franchise quarterback? Moving on to halfback here, guys. A lot of good running backs to choose from in this group, but yeah, I think there's a few obviously to stand up. I think Eddie George is, has to be the consensus number one. Then uh, For me, I put Chris Johnson up there ahead of DeMarco Murray for right now. And it, a lot of that has to do with that 2,000-yard season. Those three years, he'd rushed for more yards than any running back in any era in a three-year stint. You know, So right now, he has to be the second in my eyes. Uh, but I think Murray can take that spot eventually. I've got the same ratings. Uh, look, I, I love Eddie George. I love Chris Johnson. I, I've got Chris Johnson signed helmet. I've got a bunch of his jersey cards and shit like that. I, I love Chris Johnson. I had a sticker of him on my laptop when I worked at Gateway at one point. Yeah, fuck you. (laughs) Chris Johnson was a bad man. He he was exciting because every time he touched the ball, you didn't know what was going to happen. Was he going to get tackled for three yards, or was he going to score a touchdown from seventy yards out? He he was so exciting, and he was a guy that no one really saw coming. And we drafted him. People like, what the hell? And you looked at his tape, like, my god, that guy is fast. You looked at his, you know, combine time. He's unbelievably fast. I think part of the problem I had with Chris Johnson toward the end of his time with us is our line was declining. And people didn't want to admit that, but they were declining. And he decided to pout about it instead of playing through it or like DeMarco Murray, calling them out and making them play better. Um, Chris Johnson wasn't a leader. He was a me first guy. Uh, Jeff Fisher was responsible for the 2000 yard season because he ran Chris Johnson in spite of winning. He didn't care. It was, Chris Johnson was getting 2000 yards. There was going to be something to hang our hat on that year. Uh, DeMarco Murray if he can manage to play at this level for two or three more seasons, maybe he moves up past Chris Johnson. But Chris Johnson was a Titan first and last to me. Uh, he, he's done okay in Arizona, but he's a Titan. Eddie George is a Titan. DeMarco Murray was a Cowboy. Uh, as a Sooner, he's always going to have a place on the roster with me. Uh, he was a Cowboy first. They screwed up by letting him walk away. The Eagles didn't use him right. We lucked out and got him. He's not a Titan creation, whereas the other guys are. So I put him third. Yeah, my list is identical. Eddie George, to me, is basically what Earl Campbell is to uh, Glenn. I think Ohio State's got to be my most hated college team. But Eddie George won me over. He's by far my favorite running back. Um, Chris Johnson was explosive. Obviously, he's number two. I think that even with, let's just say, we keep DeMarco for another three, four years and – he may not be as productive as he was this season. I don't see him 
overpassing Chris Johnson. I think Chris Johnson's pretty solid at that number two spot. But, you know, like Glenn just said, we acquired Murray in a great acquisition. Um, so hard to, to get a better deal than what we got for him. I don't think that he'll have a, a three three years of what we just saw. I'm hoping next year he comes out strong out of the gate. But I think the next following year, I think, is when we're really going to see a lot of uh, Derrick Henry. Yeah, I think he's kind of holding the spot for Derrick Henry at this point. Which is fine. And, you know, as long as as long as long um, everything comes along properly and, and if, if DeMarco can put up, you know, what – bad example, but what Lendell was to Chris Johnson at one <laughs> point. You know what I mean? Like – <laughs> If he's we can a get much it. better player than Lindell. Well, yeah. <laughs> fat? No, Is that what you were going fat. for? He'd be fat? <laughs> Don't eat, motherfucker. Uh, yeah, that's another one. But, um, no, I, I do think Chris Johnson's solid solid at that number two spot. But Murray, I think, will have another solid, like another great year more than likely. But I think the following year is when we really start to see the, the decline. Yeah, and, you know, we had this conversation in three or four years, and Henry might move up there over Chris Johnson, depending on what he turns into. But right now, you know, his best shot is to replace DeMarco Murray on our list. Yep. And just to throw it out there, um, you know, I, I also hate Ohio State, but Eddie George is my favorite NFL player of all time. I loved him when he was here. I absolutely loved watching him run. Big physical guy, which you don't get to see too much of, and I'm glad that we kind of went back to that because now we get to watch two big physical guys run the football. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me of like growing up watching Eddie George, who still this day is my favorite player. I've like probably like ten Titans jerseys, and I think four of them are Eddie George jerseys. So definitely my uh, favorite player. But uh, let's move on to to fullback here, guys. I think this one. At the top spot's another one where it's real easy to pick the top guy, uh, being Lorenzo Neal. Uh, would you guys agree with that? No, I don't think anybody can complain. Lorenzo Neal was a great blocker. He was a great personality, and he was part of the home run throwback. You know, he, he, his place is cemented in history. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely number one for sure. The only other fullback um, I did – you know, when you're talking about all-time greats, Lorenzo Neal is the only one. But one of my personal favorites was Amard Hall after him. Um, I do remember guys like Robert Holcomb who, you know, had his share of, of decent seasons. But uh, those two are definitely the only ones that I would put on any any kind of list. Yeah, they're the guys that are on my list. I got Neal and a Hall. Those are the two guys I picked out. Same here for that one. Uh, moving on to wide receivers, <laughs> this is where it gets a little bit more interesting, guys. Because of you know the guys that we've had, haven't had a ton of talent at wide receiver, but some guys with a little bit less talent stepping up in certain spots. Uh, I'll just throw my list out there, and you guys can in thirty years we'll talk about it here. But for me, my five guys at wide receiver in this order: I had Derek Mason, Drew Bennett, uh, Nate Washington, Chris Sanders, and then Kendall Wright. And I know KW probably not on everybody's list there, but just stats wise is why I made it to mine. But who do you guys have, and who would you? disagree with i have mason bennett i have kendall wright and i put kevin dyson on there more because he, he was a big part of one miraculous season in play for us than anything else um really when i was doing this group i was just kind of stunned at how bad our wide receivers have been since we moved to tennessee uh since the run and shoot i don't think we've had one guy that I would call a number one receiver on any other roster. Now, as much as I like Derek Mason, and he is definitely the class of this group, he, he's not a great receiver. 
Uh, he was a good receiver. He was a good receiver when he went to the Ravens, uh, but he's not a great receiver. Uh, we haven't had a really stellar wide receiver since then. Uh, you did mention Chris, uh, Sanders. My my fondness for Sanders comes from playing Madden. I'm going to go ahead and tell my story here real quick. There was a time whenever we were I was playing Madden, and Chris Sanders was on the team. And I would switch him to running back and use him as a running back. And he was the C, the CJ2K of that, like, Madden 95 or 96, whatever it Madden, was. Madden 82. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I switched him to running back, and I would just destroy people with Chris Sanders. And they, I, I actually made a grown man cry playing Madden using Chris Sanders. <laughs> so I've he's always had a special place in my heart, even though he wasn't that good of a receiver. He was a better return man, I think, than a receiver. But because I could turn him into a running back on Madden and made a grown man cry in front of the girl that he liked and a bunch of his friends, and they weren't my people, he's always got a spot in my heart. So if he was a <laughs> grown man then, he's probably dead by now, right? Yes, oh, because I am that old. Nah, his son's <laughs> actually pretty, pretty decent. He's a receiver he at... Notre Dame right now. Anyway, no, to your point, man, we have had some lackluster receivers. Uh, my list goes like this. Derek Mason, Drew Bennett, Kevin Dyson, Nate Washington, and Chris Sanders. To add, I mean, like you just said, no true number one guys. Um, Derek Mason, to your point, we probably had him in his prime when he left Tennessee. He was the number two in Baltimore. So, um, you know, you, you can't. That, that that right there is my list, but you know you got guys that that you know some fans would be like, oh, what about Randy Moss? I don't ever want to mention Randy Moss as a Titan <laughs> ever again. That that season was a disaster. During you know when I think back of Titan receivers, I can go back and think of some guys. I wouldn't call them all time greats by any means, but Justin McCarron's had a good few years. He was one of my favorites back then. We have Justin Gage had a good year or two. I mean, but all these guys what, what, what right catch. That's what I mean. Like all these guys are at best B receivers. Um, They're all role player type guys. It didn't matter who we took in the draft, whether it was Calico, Brandon Jones, Courtney Roby. None of these guys panned out. I mean, we had Roby as a returner for a little while, and and uh, he was decent at that. But we. That's why I'm so. While we have this number five pick, if we can get a Mike Williams, that's why I'm I'm all about it. I completely agree. And you know, this is actually. I only put four receivers on here because I would rather run a two tight end set all day long with the running backs that we have and the tight ends that we're about to talk about. Yeah. And just these receivers could just be out there making plays every now and then, because that's who these guys are. Uh, I couldn't make my list five guys. Uh, I know you guys did, but I left it at four. Well, in my head, you know, I'm, I'm, we were trying to come up with a 53 man roster. I had a solid 49 or 50 and I kind of just added a few guys to, to throw them in there, but which tells you a lot about the talent we've had over the last few years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was surprised that you guys didn't throw Calico on the list there. Um, you know, just such a awesome player in this time here. That's what, uh, Someone sent in one question this week. I thought we'd talk about it. And it's a great point, talking about Calico, bringing it up. And I wanted to ask you guys here, who do you think is the worst draft pick the Titans have ever had? Because I think Calico would probably be my my choice for worst ever. Jake Locker has to be the biggest swing and miss, but between Calico, Wolfolk, and um, DGB, I mean, those are two second, all three were second round picks. Or actually, Wolfolk was first round pick, I believe. He was a first round pick, yeah. Tw- like 26 or something. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I mean, they're all big, big misses, but Jake Locker to not even make it outside his rookie deal with, and, and I admit that our low line got him killed, but how do you draft a guy with the eighth overall pick that doesn't have the heart to, like, he literally could be playing right now as a backup in the league. Like that's not far fetched, but he, you know, he didn't even have the desire to, to go past his fourth year. That's, that's poor, uh, general managing Rustin Webster. Yeah, I, and I agree with what you're saying there, but it's because Russian Webster picked him that I don't hold that against him. Because you could look at his college career and you could look at what the team that we had was and you could see how, why he failed. Tyrone Calico was high on my list for this question. He had all the measurables. He, he was definitely a Rustin Webster type of guy. You know, he, he Everything about that guy screamed, great player. Absolute bum in the NFL. DGB, he's a second-round guy. He, he, he was actually my number two on this group because, like like I discussed in the offseason, I really thought DGB could be a great guy, uh, a, a great player. And maybe he still is sometime. He's got all the physical ability. He's, he's another Tyrone Calico guy, but he's also another Titans receiver kind of guy. You know, if you're a receiver and we draft you, best of luck to you, man. <laughs> uh, Andre Wolfolk was the guy that I was the most excited about that turned into absolutely nothing. Guy could not play football at all in the NFL. And, you know, an Oklahoma guy, I thought he really had a good chance to be successful in the NFL. I thought he was coming to the right team, and he had nothing for us. So he, he was my number one guy because he was a first-round draft pick that I thought was going to be really good. One name that I was surprised left off the list is Pac-Man Jones. Even though he wasn't a bust in the NFL, uh, was was a bust of a pick for us, sixth overall and we had him for effectively really one season. And that would hurt a lot. Obviously, being a West Virginia fan, that's still the pick I think that pains me the most, probably in the history of the NFL draft. Uh, you know, going from my favorite college team to my favorite pro team and then can't keep himself from beating up strippers. Uh, definitely a, <laughs> a sad story for me. Uh, and, and for the Tennessee Titans, you know, a huge waste of a pick at sixth overall. He, he would be higher on my list if he weren't such a talented guy and didn't have a decent career after leaving us. You know, absolute idiot. Can't stand the guy as a person, but he can play football. Whereas these other guys that we're talking about, either they chose not to play football or else they just physically weren't capable of doing it or mentally capable of doing it, probably more likely. So th- those guys were higher on my list. Yeah, there was a time, this was obviously back when, you know, when this was going on, but I don't remember the reason why. We didn't have a first-round pick in 2004. We took Jones in five. So fast forward a little bit to when we drafted Chris Johnson in 2008 when nobody really knew who he was, at least I didn't. You look back, you had Adam Jones in the first round, Vince Young after that, Michael Griffin, who hadn't panned out yet. So in my mind, you know, another horrible draft class, or draft selection rather, Going into 2008, when we took Chris Johnson with all this controversy, nobody really knew anything about him other than he had a fast uh, 40 time. You know, it seemed like every year we're making these horrible, horrible first round picks, and and you know, following Chris Johnson was Kenny Britt, which doesn't help the help the <laughs> cause. But uh, during that time, man, I, I was just it was like a string of bad picks. I, it was in the year before 2004 was was Wolfolk. So I mean. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like for years we had just like no luck in the draft whatsoever. I totally agree with that. It, it was a long decade of sadness right there. But let's move on here, guys, to the tight end slot. Now, this one, you know, obviously have some guys here that really stood out. We've always been a team that seems to always have a pretty good tight end. 
I think it comes down to two big names here, and Frank Wycheck and Delaney Walker at the top. For me, I put Walker at the top because of Walker has done in single season stuff that Wycheck never has done. I think talent wise, now you know when you talk about the whole package, Walker is the better player. You know he's had a thousand yard seasons. He's had the it was eight touchdown seasons and such stuff that you know Wycheck hasn't done. Uh, so for me, it goes Walker. And then Wycheck. And then after, uh, you know, a friend of the show, Bo Scaife, uh, makes a list. A guy that I was very fond of in his time there. I used to have a big poster of Bo Scaife on my wall. And another Texas guy that I know that, that Glenn secretly hates. But I always loved Bo Scaife. But that's my list. How's your guys shake out? Yeah, I had Frank Wycheck first because I think he played it at a time where we didn't ask that much of our tight ends. Uh, he came on the heels of the run and shoot. We weren't really a tight end orientated team. It was a lot more about Eddie George, block for Eddie, you know, keep keep McNair clean, be his outlet. So I don't think Frank had the opportunities that Delaney has seen. I think he could have done it because he did everything. He, he was a do it all guy in that backfield. You know, he played H back more than he played tight end. Uh, you know, he just I don't think he had the opportunity to put up stats that Delaney has. And Delaney is a much more explosive guy. He's faster. He, he's I like his personality a lot. You know, Delaney is not my number two, but it's more like one A one A one B. And you know, Frank is my number one. Then Delaney. Then I got Bo Scaife. I've said it before. Mike Keith shouting Bo Scaife, saying that Bo Scaife as he catches touchdowns. I love that. I went ahead and put a fourth tight end on here instead of a fifth wide receiver. I put Craig Stevens on there because he was such a tremendous blocker for such a long time. And he was a much better pass catcher than we ever asked him to be because we were, again, such run-oriented teams during most of his time. And when we did start throwing the ball, we brought in Delaney Walker. So Craig, again, didn't get a chance to uh, you know, show up and shine. Uh, but I, I went with a four-tight end, four-wide receiver, three-running back group because historically we look like a pound-the-ball use a double tight end, balance out the defense so that we can get our matchups kind of a team. And you know, I think we could be again this next year. If we bring in a good tight end in this draft, uh, if, if we don't get Mike Williams, you know, we, we could very well end up running a good two tight end set, balancing out the defense and creating a lot more room for our running backs and our other receivers to work. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, my list, obviously. I know. Wycheck, uh, definitely the number one guy. I, I will say this, however, with Delaney being my two and, and Bo Scaife my three. Delaney Walker, if we didn't get him so late in his career, he easily could outplay for, um, or maybe jump a spot on, on Frank Wycheck's as the number one tight end. I think that uh, even though he's – how old is he? 33, 4? 32, I thought. 32? Okay, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know. I just knew he was up there. Um but playing in San Francisco for all the years behind Vernon Davis, I mean, he, he really doesn't have that much wear and tear on his body. Um, we got him late, and I still think he has a good couple years left in him. I do, but too. If, if we would have got him two, three years prior to when we did, and he, he played, you know, he he went to a team that he just got he got an opportunity. He appreciates the Titans for that, and, you know, he, he plays every game 110%. So, you know, if we had more time with Delaney, I could see him easily – overcoming Frank Wycheck for that number one spot, but because we got him late in his career, I don't know that he will. Uh, but Delaney is easily one of my favorite Titans now and probably for a long time. I was going to say the same thing. He's definitely one of my favorite Titans ever. You know, per- Personality, leadership, how hard he plays, everything about the guy is right. 
you know, and like you said, we got him late in his career because he wastes a bunch of time in San Francisco. Uh, I really do wish we would have got him earlier. Yeah, I agree with that. He's just to clear it up. He's 32. He'll be 33 before the season starts. Um, and I really wish I did what you did there, Glenn, with the four wide receivers, four tight ends, because I really wanted to put Craig Stevens on this list. I just couldn't put him over Bo Scaife. Yeah, right. Uh, but I really thought that he needed to be on the list. You know, and it's it's a guy that's always been. He doesn't put up the big stats, but he's out there. You know, hitting guys, great blocker, just a fantastic blocker year in and year out. And, you know, that's not a sexy stat. That's not what gets you noticed. Well, while we're on the topic of tight end, um, and we just got off the topic of bust draft picks, uh, <laughs> he, I, I believe he was a second, maybe even a third round pick. But Ben Troop, I had a lot of high hopes for who let me down. Yep, Ben, ben Troop for sure. Um, I'm thinking of a certain player with the Packers. Yeah, this is a couple of Ah, Jared Cook, yes. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about yeah. him. We don't talk about him because he had all the ability in the world and we couldn't get his head on straight. Um, but, yeah. That you know. and Jake Locker. and Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few reasons why he didn't succeed here. <laughs> but, yeah, I, there are some other guys you could easily put on this list. It was much easier for me to come up with four really good tight ends than it was with four decent receivers. I, if I recall, I believe he was a third-round pick and we traded up for, with the Patriots to get him. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, but let's move on to tackles. Uh, this is also a list, uh, one of the ones, you know, we talked about a few times. Now we've talked about how hard it was to pick guys because of how, you know, the lack of talent and stuff. But this was a list that kind of got hard because there's a lot of guys that deserve recognition. We've had a the luck of having some really good tight ends, or I mean, I'm sorry, really good tackles over the, the years that we've been uh, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, for me, my list is uh, Hopkins, Roos, Miller, and Stewart in that order. Uh, do you, how's your guys' look? A little bit different. I went with uh, uh, Hopkins is an easy first guy. Michael Roos was a good uh, ta- tackle for us for a long time. I went ahead and threw a, a Taylor Lewan in there. Um, I, I think that he's already proven, you know, as one of the best tackles in the league, that he's already worked his way up. Uh, I think he's a better left tackle than a lot of our right tackles were. You notice I'm naming mostly left tackles here because those are the guys that stand out. Uh, I did put a right tackle in here. Uh, it's John Runyon. I love the way John Runyon played the game. I realize he didn't spend most of his career with us, but I love the way he went out there and just knocked the crap out of people. He was in people's face the whole time. He, he's ripe for Jack Conklin to pass him up in the next couple of years. For me, for an offensive lineman, you had to have at least played three years. For my tackles, you had to give me three years. I think that in a few years, Jack Conklin probably passes him because he's better as a uh, pass blocker, too. But right now, I put Runyon out there because he was a tone setter on the right side of that line. My list is real similar to yours, uh, a little bit different. Obviously, Brad Hopkins, my number one. Michael Roos, who played, I believe, 10 years with us and solid, solid player, number two. Taylor Lewan is my number three. Uh, Fred Miller, four. And one guy none of you mentioned, David Stewart, who played the right side, who was pretty much as solid as, as Michael Ruse was and played together for a long time. A big Actually, country. Ryan listed him. Ryan had uh, Stewart. Oh, well, Ryan used my template, so that makes sense. Oh, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really liked Stewart, but Stewart was a really solid right tackle for a long time. He, he wasn't just a huge difference maker to me, but towards the uh, end of his time with us, he was just a penalty machine. And it was the same problem I had with Fred Miller. Just too too many penalties for me. Uh, at least when Runyon was making penalties, it's because he was tearing guys' eyeballs out. 
<laughs> Runyon's a dirt ball, man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> ah, the, the, the dude was dirty as hell. He, he, it was everything everybody hated about that team for a long time. When I think of John Runyon, I think of him as an eagle. I understand, and that's what I said. Conklin will pass him in you know a couple years here. See, there's a reason I didn't. I, you guys, I believe, both had Lawan. Uh, I just couldn't put him on there yet, just because it, it hasn't been long enough yet for me. And it's his years. He's been here. He's been uh, either you know pretty good, you know, a little bit better than decent, or of course last year when he was just absolutely stunning, just fantastic. I think in a you know year, maybe even one year, but probably two years, he makes this list for me. In three, four years, I think him and Conklin could be very close to the top of this list, and I hope they are because, I mean, if they can continue to play the way they played last season, I think that those guys could end up one and two if they keep that kind of play up. Yeah, and I, I'll just say this. Uh, we're about to go over the whole offensive line, but tackle, along with O-line as a whole, has got to be our strongest suit as a franchise whole. I mean, we we've had some – I don't know if it's because – the rest of our team isn't hasn't been up to par, but in my opinion, our O line has been our strong suit for years. It was a point of pride for a long time, and then, you know, during the Chris Johnson days, it started declining, and it had been such a strong suit for so long that it was one of the things leading up to uh, before they finally got around to firing Rustin Webster that I used to argue with people a lot about was that we hadn't spent enough draft picks on offensive linemen. Uh, we we were taking guys in the fifth or sixth round and asking them to develop into first-round players a year later. Uh, yeah. we, we let our offensive line get old. Uh, we had you know guys who are on this list, you know, you know Brad Hopkins, Michael Ruse. We let these guys get old, and then we didn't bring in adequate replacements for them. If you're going to draft somebody in the fourth or fifth round and expect him to eventually grow into a starter, mm-hmm. he needs to play behind that great player for three or four years. He can't be your starter, mm-hmm. you know, year two. And that's that was the mistake that the Titans made uh, under Rustin Webster. They didn't developed the offensive line they stopped respecting how incredibly important it is to have a good offensive line and so we had that one dip but otherwise this you know the offensive line through the 90s through the you know early 2000s it was the offensive line was phenomenal the whole time through pretty much um you know there was a reason warren moon was so good there's a reason steve mcnair was so good they had really good offensive lines jake locker for as much as he had his flaws he never had a chance behind that offensive line it's good to see us moving back in the right direction with our offensive line again. I absolutely agree with that. It is something that, you know, it's definitely something I paid attention to, you know, not getting guys under when we had fantastic uh, tackles. You just couldn't get anybody under them to learn when we had the opportunity to. It's something that very, I found very frustrating uh, at the time. And But, you know, now we got two guys in there with long careers ahead of them, you know, that that are fantastic. And I, I hope to see them higher on this list as their careers go on. But for me, I just couldn't put them there yet uh, just because it was a little too early for me. But moving on, and another very talented group, uh, let's head to the guards here. And I think it's obvious, I, I, out of all of the ones that we've said so far, an obvious number one, I think this is the most obvious number one, is Bruce Matthews. Uh, you know, probably the best player to ever play for our franchise you know all the way back to the Oilers days you can make the argument that Bruce Matthews is the best Titan or Oiler of all time a fantastic football player you know tied for the record for most Pro Bowls in a career Um, 
For me, behind that, Benji Olsen, uh, Zach Piller, and then Jacob Bell. How did your guys' list go? I actually kept it down to just three. Um, I did Matthews, Benji, and Zach, uh, just like you did there. Uh, you know, Bruce, obviously. Um, I, I almost put Mike Munchak on this list anyway, You know, even though he wasn't a Titan. I almost put him on there anyway just because he was a coach and he had been such an incredible player for us for so I long. I almost did the same thing just to do it <laughs> because Munchak yeah, see, deserves to be mentioned it, every time you talk about the guards. This is what I'm talking about with the tradition of incredible offense. <clears throat> We've had a couple of the very best in league history play for for this team and i've gotten you know the chance to appreciate them you know when i was old enough to actually enjoy them playing uh but benji and zach i think are two underrated guys uh they also kind of spoke to me that after matthews the titans haven't had just fantastic guards uh benji and zach were both really good guards but they were playing with really great tackles around them but they were both really good big road grader type guys Great run blockers, not as good pass blockers, but I really enjoyed having them on the team just because they were part of such great offensive lines that I wouldn't put them on there. I left off Bell. Bell was a good guy. Uh, he played for us for quite a while. It just, I, I couldn't put him as part of my starting group. He's very Eugene Amano liked, in my opinion. Jacob Bell. Yeah. But uh, I won't go too deep into this, but my list was the same. I got Matthews, Olsen, Pillar, and then it's kind of a, a Randy Moss-ish kind of pick, but I did put Steve Hutchinson in there um, just because of overall what a great player he's been his whole career and what a big um, impact he was when he came to us. I mean, it, we weren't really doing much with the team as a whole, but he was a big lift, and I put him on there. Yeah, he was a big signing for us. Uh, he didn't play – at a high enough level long enough for us for him to make my list. But he, he was kind of like the uh, the uh, Reggie White going to Green Bay thing. When Green Bay's really got nothing going on, and Reggie White goes, like, what the hell? You know, Steve Hutchinson coming to the Titans was like, why is he going there? You know, it, it was a great signing for us, and I, I get what you're saying, but he, he didn't make my list. And before we get off topic, Mike Munchak was just canned by Pittsburgh. Eh. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm happy about it. I hate Bring him back. <laughs> um, I want to let him come back here and he and Russ Grimm can hook up and turn this into one hell of an offensive line instead of just a really good offensive line there you go uh, I I left Hutchinson off my list as well for the exact same reason he just fantastic player he just wasn't here long enough for really uh, for him to make my list for him to be considered you know fantastic yeah, he was, player he, he was a Seahawk to me not a Titan right yeah, exactly alright guys we're moving on to the center here for this one, I only had one guy, but I have a, an honorable mention for it. All right. No, Kevin Mawai is my only center. I know where you're going with the honorable mention. The only other one that I could even think about putting on is Justin Hartwig. Who I did but put on. I kept it simple with one with one center. Kevin Mawai. Kevin Mawai is almost like the same the same boat as uh, Hutchinson was, but Mawai was here a little bit longer, and he played a huge part at center. I mean, that guy was a monster. Yeah, and you know he changed the tone of the team, and he he also did the big deal by coming here, uh, like Matt just said. He's on my list. I put Hartwig first because Hartwig was more of a Titan before he left and went on to other you know, other teams and committing terrible penalties in the Super Bowl. But he, he he also came on the show, so he gets an honorable mention regardless. If you yeah. came on the show, you're on the list. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it kind of surprised me when I got to center that we didn't have any standout centers. We've had a whole lot of different guys play center for this team. Uh, it's like everybody played for two or three seasons and then was gone. 
at you know at whatever level they played, that none of them were here very long. They all just kind of rotated through. We we usually keep a swing guard as our center. All right, Ryan, slack him. Let's move on. Yeah, Eugene right. Amano was the well, guy I hey, put in there as an honorable mention. Uh, you, you know, he's a guy that played for a while as a Titan and wasn't spectacular by no means, but you know, he was a guy that uh, was a pretty solid football player, and and I thought that he deserved to be on the list just for the years that he put in uh, with the Titans. Um, but yeah, I mean, gonna, Eugene, Eugene was a serviceable center. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we're going to move on to the defense here, though. Uh, starting off at defensive end, this is uh, one of the groups on this list that actually has a lot of talent on it. Obviously, for me, it starts off with uh, you know the freak Javon Curse. Uh, then you have uh, KVB, Derek Morgan, and Kevin Carter. A lot of talent um, when those four names, those four guys right there. Yeah, I had uh, Javon, Casey, KVB, Kevin Carter. It's a pretty easy group to throw out there. Um, I know that Morgan's going to show up here, but he's a linebacker to me. At least that's what he is now. But, you know, Javon Curse, he's the freak. Even though he didn't play his whole career here, he set the Titans on fire. Everybody knew who we were because Javon Curse was such a fantastic tight end off the end. I, I can close my eyes right now and see him pedaling that bicycle on the sidelines trying to stay loose. Uh, you know, <laughs> Darrell Casey right now has been one of the most underrated defensive players defensive lineman in the league for years. He's finally in the Pro Bowl again. Um, I almost put him down as a defensive tackle. I kept going back and forth uh, because I think naturally he's a defensive tackle, but we're in the 3-4, so he can be a defensive end. It gives me more room to put more guys on the list. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of trouble uh, admitting that we're a 3-4. I'm still a 4-3 guy at heart, but um, my my DNs go curse KVB Kevin Carter and I did put Derek Morgan at D end um, and he hasn't really been that much of a standout D end or a standout linebacker but he's been above average and he closes out the list but I definitely did move into D tackle had uh, Jarrell Casey because in my mind man I mean I know we play him at end right now but that guy's a D tackle you can't tell me anything different yeah naturally he's a four three defensive tackle just like Morgan is a you know, a four three defensive end, but right. I think Morgan is a better outside linebacker than he was a tackle. As a, I mean, as a, as an end, because as an end he was disappointing. As yeah. an outside linebacker, he's been pretty productive, and you know, him and Arakpo together have been a really good team. So I, I, it's easier for me to put him on this list if I move him to the outside linebacker. I think that goes along with progression as well, though. I mean. Yeah, I mean, as he gets better in years, but I think it's just it's a better fit for him. I agree, but uh, a D tackle got to start out with Albert Hainsworth. Um, Absolutely, that guy was insane for many years, and uh, not, not just the, as a player, as a person as well. But <laughs> yeah, I remember the fa- the face stomp. That wasn't one of his uh, his better moments, but he's definitely my number one D tackle for sure. Number two, Jarrell Casey. Number three, John Thornton, and number four, downtown Tony Brown. <laughs> I went with uh, Hainsworth first. I think, you know, again, the 4-3 thinking, Carl Klug next to Jarrell Casey would be an incredible defensive uh, tackle. Th- th- those two guys together would wreak so much havoc if we were still playing a 4-3. So I've actually put him on this list over a guy that I really respected, Henry Ford. Ford was a really good guy that not everybody thought about, but he – Always, he he was a Carl Clue kind of guy where he was always involved. He was always making plays, but 
you just you didn't think about him too much because it wasn't about our defensive line at that point. Um, and then I also have John Thornton on here. Yeah, I'm less impressed with John Thornton than I am with Henry Ford. The defensive tackle group to be isn't as strong if you're doing a three four um, as a four three group. You pair them with those defensive ends. That's just an, an insane defensive line. I went Jarrell Casey at first here, and I really compared him and Albert Hainsworth. It is very close. If you look at their numbers, their stats are, are pretty close. Uh, I went with Casey and gave him a slight edge just because of, of some of the the uh, the stats favored um, Casey or Hainsworth. It was tough, though. They're, I think they're definitely like really close right now. And the fact that you know Casey obviously has more years in front of him as a Titan uh, is definitely going to help him push him over the list. So Hainsworth second for me. Uh, then I have Tony Brown and then Jason Fisk. Um, Henry Ford and John Thornton are both honorable mentions on my list. It was hard to pick that last that group of uh, Fisk, uh, Thornton, and um, and uh, Ford. It was really hard to pick between the three of them because they all have similar careers, all good football players. And, and I love John Thornton, the WVU guy, Mountaineer and a Titan, but I had to go with Jason Fisk because his, his stats give him the edge there. Uh, but it, really another group that has a lot of talent in it. Yeah, and, you know, Fisk was on my list. He was the next guy up. Uh, him, Ford, and Thornton are roughly the same guy as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, they're all really decent tackles, but they weren't huge difference makers to me. Uh, for me, disruptive guys go up higher in the list. If, if I were listing Casey as a defensive tackle, I think I would put him above Hen- Hainsworth too. But Hainsworth was such a force in the middle of that field, or, the, or in the middle of the line, just crushing people backwards. Whereas Casey's more of an agile, uh, more ta- more te- technical tackle than uh, Hainsworth. Hainsworth was just a force in there, and he played with such rage. You know, I really enjoyed him. But um, of that group, I, the reason I put Carl Kluge there is not just because we're obviously a huge fan of Carl Kluge on the show and we want him on, but because I think he's a, such a disruptive guy that you could put him on there running a 4-3 where he doesn't have to take on a center, you know, just directly on, and he's the other defensive tackle. I think he's just – I think he would give us the production above the rest of that list. Yeah, I would agree with a lot with what you said there. I mean, it was tough, you know, uh, between you know Fisk, Thornton, and, and Ford. You said it; they are about all the same guy. Uh, that was a tough group to pick out of, and my bias wanted to go with Thornton, but I had to be honest, and, and that's why I went with Fisk. Um, Nothing wrong with that. But a very talented group there, uh, and you know, good company to be named with, and you know, Casey and Hainsworth and Brown. I think a guy that gets forgotten, but you know, was a hell of a football player. But let's move on to linebackers here, guys. Uh, I went with a group of, what is this, one, two, three, four, five, six guys here. Uh, and I know we're, this is we're probably, because of how big of a linebacker group you have to go with, probably going to have a lot of differences. But I think we all have probably the same number one and two uh, between Keith Bullock and, and Randall Godfrey, both outstanding guys. For me, Bullock, then Godfrey, then Eddie Robinson, followed by Stephen Tullock, followed by... Uh, Brian Arakbo and then Baron Wortham uh, is going to end my list. How did you guys have it? Yeah, I, in my mind, we're still running a four three as I went to linebacker, so I didn't need as big of a group. But I have Keith Bullock, Randall Godfrey. I think those two guys. Um, you know, by, by the time Bullock, 
left and went to the Giants, he was already spent. We we got the best out of that guy. Um, I re- I really enjoy Bull a lot, and Godfrey was underrated when I, when he was with us. I put Stephen Tolock on there because he had so much ability, but we just weren't getting the attention whenever he was playing for us. And then I put Arakpo and Morgan based on what they're doing now. Uh, I couldn't put Robinson on there. Uh, he had some great moments, but he he just. I never felt like Robinson was a productive career guy with us or anything like that, so I couldn't throw him on that list. My list, uh, similar. Keith Bullock, Randall Godfrey, Stephen Tulloch. I might actually swap them as I'm looking at him now. Brian Arakpo would probably be up next, but the last two guys that neither of you had mentioned, Peter Sermon, who was pretty solid for us for a few years out of Oregon, and one guy that I thought was going to be our our middle linebacker for a long time who ended up retiring due to injury, uh, Colin McCarthy, who's out of Miami University. And um, that guy played with a lot of heart. I really enjoyed watching him. And, and he was, yeah, he was a breath of fresh air when we really needed it. And, you know, unfortunately injury caught up to him and he had to retire early. But I really thought that was going to be our guy for, for a few years. I did too. And we were hurting so much at linebacker at the time. You know, anybody could have come in here and been the savior because we, we had been through the Rockies, the Boyman, the Calmus. You know, uh, the the sermon who who had a re- one really good year and then just couldn't ever put it together after that. And the same thing with McCarthy. He do, he couldn't stay healthy to be that guy. Sermon and McCarthy both missed the list for me because they couldn't keep it together the, uh, long enough to be a guy for us. Career with the Titans wasn't there. I'd agree with that. This was a tough list for me to make. Um, you know, there's some guys I I like Eddie Robinson. He had the stats, he had the longevity. If I had Morgan as a defensive end because he plays more of a defensive end role, but if I had him uh, listed as a linebacker, I think he would have kicked uh, Wortham off the list and it would have been him there. Um, Tullock's a guy I always liked, you know, and you brought, you put it very well. You know, he was a guy that was really good when no one was paying attention to the Titans. You know, but it was a tough list to make. There, I considered, you know, Sermon was definitely a guy that I was looking at, um, and he just like he'd probably be the first one off of my list. That you know, for next runner up, but it was a definitely a tough list to make towards the bottom. But uh, you know, he barely barely missed the cut in my eyes. One guy I'll give honorable mention to you. Know, I do think of him sort of as a Colt more than a Titan. But David Thornton had a lot of good years with us too. He really did. But you know, like you said, he's a Colt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving to uh, quarterbacks, I'll start out mine. Um, obviously number one, Samari roll, hands down. No, no questions asked. Number two for me, Cortland Finnegan, three, Jason McCourty, four, Andre Dyson and five ATV Alteron Burner. Yeah. I only differed right at the end. Um, I, I didn't put Dyson over, uh, Alteron. Uh, it was, it was just, he, I don't feel like he was as good as the team around him made him look no, no offense to him. Um, this was a group that really didn't impress me much. You know, the, the fact that this is our group of corners, it kind of leads me, you know, if we're looking at an all-time team, the secondary would again be the weakness. Yeah. Uh, our, our corners are like our receivers. Why do we struggle so much at those two positions? Why can't we get good corners in like we used to have back in the good old days as the Oilers? Why can't we get good receivers in like we had back in the good old days? I don't, I don't get why we can't draft these guys or develop these guys and then keep them around. Uh, ATV, I thought he was a really talented guy, but he never had the physical gifts 
and eventually that was going to catch up with him. I think it did catch up with him in Tampa Bay. Uh, McCourty has been a really solid guy his career with us. He's getting towards the end of it, but he's never blown me away. Finnegan is uh, is higher than McCourty for me, not because of ability as much as attitude. I love the way he got in people's head. Uh, the fact that he made Andre Johnson kick his ass. Uh, you know, he's the only guy who ever broke Andre Johnson's cool. <laughs> that's, that's impressive to me. I put him on that list. And Samori Roll was the best of the group for a while he, you know, he played. Yeah, to your point, Glenn, you look at this list, I'm pretty sure we all have the same top three. Uh, McCourty and Cortland Finnegan, are, I believe they're both seventh-round picks, weren't they? Mm-hmm. So, I well, mean that, I, it's him and Ferner, I thought. McCourty was higher than that. Well, McCourty, McCourty, was, no, McCourty was either third, sixth or seventh. No, no, no. I'm positive. I'll look it up right now. Look it up right now, because I thought McCourty was drafted higher than, and it was uh, ATV who was the other. I, we can't believe we found this guy at the end of the draft. No, um, ATV was a fourth round pick. Was he? Okay, and that's right. Yeah, I was, I was arguing with somebody about our uh, cornerbacks. You know, a couple the, of years back. The thing with the thing with Jason McCourty is Devin went a year earlier, even though they both played at Rutgers. Devin went in the first round. You are so with the internet. Yeah, my yeah. bad. Sixth round. Yeah, okay. sixth. So, right. I thought he was a seventh, but yeah, um, I know Finnegan was awful a damn late. You know, oh, absolutely. a lot of these guys, you know, when, when your best players are fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round guys, then obviously you haven't given the position the attention that it deserves. Uh, just to throw out there my list real quick, a little bit different. I went five guys here, Roll, and then Finnegan for me, then Daryl Lewis, um, Andre Dyson, and then McCourty for me. Uh, a lot of it what put Dyson over McCourty was, you know, statistics – and I, I agree with you, Glenn. He had a lot more to work with back there than McCourty has, uh, or that had and uh, currently has. But still, his stats were just a little bit better. They were close to my eyes. Lewis is a guy, you know, he had like six seasons in a row where he had at least four interceptions. You know, he wasn't a guy that was fundamentally great, but he just had a knack for getting the ball, um, you know, which is uh, something awesome to have. Uh, if you can have a guy do it regularly. And he had like three seasons in a row as a Titan where he had um, over five interceptions and three straight seasons. So, you know, a guy that kind of gets forgotten of. But he was a interception machine for a while in his career. Uh, yeah, my, my problem with list. him was is that either he picked the ball off or he got burned. Yeah, that um, kind of did happen a lot with Lewis. Uh, you know, so so that, that's why I left him off the list. Because I, I respected that, you know, you, you went and grabbed an oiler who – you know, became a a, a a Tennessee Oiler at least. Uh, you know, I, I respect that you threw him on my list here, but at the same time, he, he pissed me off an awful lot in his career with us. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were a lot of damn, that was a great interception, and what the hell was he looking at as the guy's ripping down the field for a touchdown? There, it was it was either or too much for me. All right, guys, let's head into safety here. Um, first guy, I think we'll all have. Similar here at the top of the list, actually, the first two guys. Uh, Blaine Bishop is my number one, followed by Michael Griffin, followed by Marcus Robinson and Chris Hope. How did your guys' list end up? Uh, mine are a little different. I went with Marcus, then Blaine, then Michael, and then Chris Hope. Same guys, slightly different order. Uh, Marcus, I think, was underrated for uh, all the good that he did for this team. Uh, and he, he and Blaine together were just tremendous. Uh, you, I think you could switch Blaine and Marcus either way. Um, I felt like Marcus was a 
better safety than Michael Griffin. Uh, Griffin had some really good years, but it never like he was either either Griffin was suffering from our lack of cornerbacks, which I think is the case largely for him, or else he, he was never fully in control of the defense. It just it, it always seemed like he was out of position a couple times a game, or just wasn't quite where he needed to be to me. But again, if you're covering for the fact that you have no corners, maybe your safety gets a little bit of leeway for the fact that he's busy, you know, making up for mistakes everybody else is making on the field. Where's the love for Lance Schultz? Fuck Lance Schultz. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I got uh. Well, my list is before you go ahead. Blaine Bishop, Lance Schultz, Michael Griffin, Chris Hope. Go ahead. Fuck Lance Schultz. What? No, I, actually, I said I have nothing against Lance Schultz. When I think of safety back in, in uh, the good old days, that's that's the guy that first comes to mind. Um, Michael Griffin, obviously, has been with us a long time, so you, you got to throw him on there one way or the other. And Chris Hope is another guy that stood out to me. Um, we haven't had a whole lot of talent at safety. Some guys that come to mind like Donnie Nicky, uh, Lamont Thompson, uh, Babineau. We've had a lot of guys that came and gone, but I think those four guys stood out to me the most. And obviously, Blaine Bishop has to be number one. I think with Lance is he was a 49er. Yeah. Then he was with us you know, for a little while. Then he did Miami, Atlanta, Miami. Um, he, we got him at the end of his peak. Uh, we got two good years out of him. His, his last year, we, we got you know, kind of what was left of him. And then he went to Miami. And he, just, he, he wasn't a Titan in my mind so much. That was like the same reason that left him off my list. He's a guy that's had a great career, but... Most of it was elsewhere, you know, and he did have two good seasons with us, uh, you know, but that wasn't enough to push him over some of these guys that had four, five, six good years with us. All right, guys, let's head into uh, the special teams here. First one up's kicker, and I know uh, a lot of people would probably have Rob here. I just went with a different one. I knew you guys would have Rob, and uh, I decided to go with uh, Aldo Greco, a guy that was very good for us, you know, Titans all-time points leader. I just thought he deserved a little bit of credit, um, and I knew that you guys would show Rob on the list. So, yeah, I, I've got Rob, and it's solely because Al pissed me off missing some big kicks over his career. Uh, he definitely was our kicker for a long time, and he was the reason we won a lot of games because we couldn't get the ball in the end zone for you know a bunch of his career. But I, I couldn't make him over Rob because I trusted Rob as my kicker more. When you think of a Titans kicker, you obviously think Rob Barona's. Um, Al Del Greco, to me, is more of an oiler than he was a Titan. The Rob Barona's, obviously, at the time, I believe he hit a 63, what was it? He broke a record at the time. I know it's been broken since then. He tied the record at 63, yeah. Yeah, hands down, when I think of a Titans kicker, that's, that's who I go to. And that's part of the reason for me, too, is, you know, uh, like I said, Al pissed me off a bunch, but mostly he pissed me off a bunch as an oiler. Rob <laughs> is the Titans kicker for the longest time. He had to be the guy for me. I do like the uh, the one-bar Gary Anderson helmet, though. I'll give him yeah. an honorable mention. All right, and then punter, I think we're all going to have the same answer here. Uh, and uh, Craig Hendrick, is, does anybody have anything but him? Brett Kern. No, Craig Hendrick. <laughs> it, it, it's Hendrick, you know, the, the first million dollar punter. He, he's got to be the guy right now. You know, I don't think there's anybody else who is in that conversation. No, he what, 12 or 13 seasons with us? Yeah. I mean, that's obvious. Is it? Is it Matt? 
It is. You're right. It is. Thank you. Three <laughs> you guys on my list for kick returner. Um, Pac-Man Jones being one of them. I know he was only here for that year and a half, you know, but a guy that was an electrifying punt returner. Um, and then after him would be Derek Mason, who was a very good kick returner in his time here, and then Courtney Roby as well, who seems like the only thing that he excelled at was kick returning. Uh, but those are my three guys. Who'd you have? I had the top two there, the Pac-Man Jones and Derek Mason. You know, again, I was going to use the same word that you used for Pac-Man. You know, he wasn't here very long, but he was electrifying. You know, he he was a guy that every time that ball got kicked off, he didn't know if he was going to score. Uh, he, he's the closest thing we've had to a great kick returner. Then my next guy is Derek Mason because he's the best kick returner over any extended period of time that we've had. There's a few other guys that have done well for us, but after. These two guys, yeah, it goes back to like Mel Gray for me. And that's back in the Oilers days. So we're, we're talking Pac-Man Jones, Derek Mason. We're the only two guys I put on here. You know, nothing, nothing wrong with Roby, but I didn't necessarily feel like I needed three. I went with Pac-Man Jones as my number one. Obviously, biggest scumbag in the league right now. But at the same time, for what you guys said, very dynamic. Could easily get up the field with, uh, you know, one quick move and he's gone. Second, I went with Mark Mariani simply because he, had, you know, he came out of the gate as a rookie. You know, nobody knew who he was. Um, he was actually drafted when, you know, when when we had Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher's son and Mariani played together at Montana, and I think that's the only reason anyone knew who he was. And obviously, with him coming back this past season, um, not really doing anything special. I don't think he'll be back by any means, but. Even though it's a small sample size, he did make Pro Bowl his rookie year returning kicks, so he definitely got the uh, the nod for me at number two. Yeah, and he kept us from putting running backs back through fumble the ball into the damn end zone. That's uh, Ryan's <laughs> boy, Darius Renaud. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just you know, oh, yeah, I I am happy having a perfectly average kick returner. If you don't if you don't have someone who can score a touchdown every time he touches it, just put somebody down there who's not stupid. You know, just get, re- remove the incredible mistakes that we've been making on special teams for the last several years and just put somebody back there who, could, who at least understands my job is to catch the fucking ball, not fall it, not step backwards into the end zone. You know, just catch the ball, get up the field, get what you can, fall down. Dude, I'm telling you, and I agree with you, but reliability is the biggest thing when it comes to returning punts and kicks, but... When you got a guy like Tyreek Hill with that kind of speed, I miss that so bad. Like no question, <laughs> Mar- no, no, Mariani's, no question Mariani's done a good job this year of holding on to the ball and making smart plays, but he made no extra effort. And we, I miss that personally. I think if we can add that dynamic to this team. I think we'll be you know well off. Absolutely, I don't want him to be our kick returner next year. I'm just like our kick returner this year compared to the other options that we had. Yeah. We, we we had no better option. I really, really hope that in the offseason we come up with a guy who can score as a kick returner. We're probably not going to find Tyreek Hill out there. That dude is amazing. But <laughs> if we can find somebody who at least is, you know, other teams aren't going, all right, well, everybody jog down the field and tackle the dude. Or get down the field because he's probably going to drop the ball and you can score. <laughs> I yeah. don't want that to be the conversation that they're having. Well, I believe that's it, gentlemen. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I left Mariani off my list, and the reason being is he's just no risk, no reward. 
kind of a guy. You know, he's going to get the ball. He's going to catch the ball. He's not going to make stupid mistakes. You know, but he, he's going to average like three yards on a punt return. You know, well, that's that's this season. It's this season. Yeah, yeah I agree. With you. Yeah, but he never really. I mean, even when he was like at his peak, he was. I mean, he was really good, but he wasn't the guy that you weren't. Every time he caught the ball, you weren't like, oh, he's going. He was no, no Devin Hester. No, he hadn't had that speed, but but he could get up. The, dude, he returned. I don't know how many returned. I don't have the stats in front of me. But as a rookie, man, he was electric. And I don't know if you recall the the play where he broke his leg. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. That yeah. shit was disgusting. <laughs> that, that was, I'm surprised he's like you know walking, let alone playing football again. Yeah. But yeah, just for the 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 horror of that happening on the field and him coming back to play for us again. Yeah, an honorable mention. <laughs> Absolutely, I still remember that man. That that was nasty. Yeah, that was a brutal break, man. But yeah, not on my list. <laughs> <laughs> he's good, but fuck him. He's good, but he's not good enough. Now I, I say that yo, know, you could take this team that we put together here and put it on Madden and have an awful lot of fun. You just you can't throw the ball to the receivers and you can't <laughs> stop the other team from scoring with theirs. But you you got to run the ball, you got to throw to the tight ends, and you're going to blitz the quarterback really well listen nobody is running on curse casey hainsworth and put whoever the hell you want next to fucking hainsworth and we'll be glenn right. lots and heiser yeah <laughs> next to those guys i got this imagine, <laughs> imagine that d-line casey hainsworth curse and like kvb yeah no shit that's what I'm saying, man. You put this on Madden, no one's running the ball. They're just going to throw it at your corners all day long because they don't dare do anything else. You know what I did there? I basically named the uh, the Kerry Collins team, except for, uh, obviously, Joel Casey was on. It was Tony Brown instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that again, we've had some really good teams over the years that couldn't get it done. We just didn't have a complete team. And the fact that we made the Super Bowl with that group of receivers and that group of cornerbacks is pretty damned impressive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a new era now. We got a lot to look forward to, and I think some of these guys are going to eventually get bumped off our list. Mike Williams. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I want cornerbacks. I want receivers who are exciting, and I want to not suck at everything else. <laughs> I, th- I think, honestly, what we should do, and I think this is a, a good later on in the draft kind of plan. We talked about this before, but uh, – I think we should probably, as our third running back, take somebody that will be returning some kicks. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Two birds, one stone. Let's get it. Uh, uh, Someone who can return kicks and play at any position is fine with me. True. We, we need a kick returner. We need someone who can catch the ball that can actually do something with it once he does. And we need someone who can stop the other team from catching the ball every damn time. <laughs> yeah. Turn your head! Right. We're going to have a whole new section of the uh, combine, just how far you can twist your head around. Neck flexibility, that's going to be the thing. <laughs> it's all about the neck and the hips. Yeah, I was going to say, Ryan's out there checking out everybody asking how their hips are moving. <laughs> I'm, I'm out there looking at their neck. It's like, twist your head, man, twist your head. All right, that's all <laughs> we have for this show. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for Matt and Glenn, and especially Matt coming up with that great idea. It was a lot of fun to go through. Um, maybe a little bit down the road we'll do an all-Oilers edition of this. Um, by the way, also, if you have any ideas that you think would be good for the show during the off season, we're open to anything, open to ideas. We have some stuff down, you know, planned down the pipe, but always need, you know, ideas. So if you have any ideas that you would like to hear, stuff that you want to hear as a fan of the show, as a fan of this team, 
definitely reach out to us. Facebook message us, uh, direct message us on Twitter. Uh, get it out to us so you know we can know exactly what our fans would like to hear, and we can do some stuff that you guys would find really interesting. Uh, and again, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for everybody who sends stuff in. Everybody have a great night. We'll be back next week. Right, go to hang10.com. The code's two-tone. Get your shit. Hangtn.com. Bodby. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Mawahe has to be the guy, um, <laughs> I think, as your number one. Behind him as my... <laughs> yeah. Did you just call him Mawahe? Mawahe? <laughs> like, like, like Hawaii? <laughs> Ma- Ma- Hawaii? <laughs> Fuck you guys. Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.